Exodus chapter 18, verse 7. This is what it says. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and he kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Eyes of faith. That's the title of our message today, Eyes of Faith. I'm just going to give you the title up front so you can... If you're into titles, if you're not into titles, you can ignore that part. And what we believe often influences what we see. So you can imagine a young couple going up to buy a house, and it's a fixer-upper. And one of the couple, I won't say if it's husband or wife, because I don't want to seem like I'm showing favorites or anything. They see this fixer-upper, and they just see gardens and paint and roof. It's just, oh, it's beautiful. It's a dream house. I just, you know, they get this picture in their head. You know in that couple which one you are of these two. The other person sees a money pit. They see all of their savings going into a gigantic toilet and being flushed. They see nothing but work. They see no weekends for the next six years. Uh, they see paint and then changing minds, new paint, and then oh, new paint, uh, planting grass that doesn't grow. And so two people see the same house but based on kind of what they believe can be or ought to be, it influences what they actually see. They're looking at the same structure. And one sees this and goes, oh, I'm so excited. And the other one goes, oh, I want to run away. Eyes of faith, what we believe can be and ought to be. And this is what we discover, something really interesting in Exodus 18 about what it looks like to see what God is doing and to see what God is doing through eyes of faith and to see... And contrast that, what it looks like to have eyes of doubt, eyes that can't quite make out what God is up to. And so we're going to look this morning just at a couple of different things in the time we have together about how we see in the people of Israel and in Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, eyes of faith. So first thing, and we're in Exodus 18, if you haven't found it. The first nine verses, I want to kind of touch on this idea. Eyes of faith allow us to have joy at God's power. Eyes of faith, seeing with faith, allow us to have joy at God's power. And look at verse 9. We read it, but just to reread it again. Jethro rejoiced for all the good God had done. So here we see a Jethro responding to God's work, and he's responding with joy. And remember, reading these are a little bit harder. We say, Jethro wasn't sitting there. Boy, this situation seems appropriate for me to express some joy-filled emotion. I'm going to go ahead and do that now. I have joy. The joy a joyful expression, it's a, something moves. Like, oh, I feel joyful. 
I'm getting excited. If your team won in the final four, maybe you got joyful. I don't know. You're moved. It's not something that requires necessarily you to think about. It's something happens and it gets you excited. Parents understand this all the time. One of the most popular videos in December on social media channels is pictures of videos parents take of children opening gifts. So children are unwrapping a gift and they pull something out that for you and I as grown-ups, we'd say, a set of Legos. Seems like work. <laughs> and then, but the little boy pulls out a set of Legos and his hands are trembling. I can't believe it. You know, and we, we're watching it. We love this spontaneous movement uh, of joy. We delight in seeing our, Troy, our children overwhelmed uh, with the mundane. One video in particular, you, and you can Google it during church if you get bored, I guess. You know, the dad has got this little baby, this little infant in the feeding chair. He's got the quarter, the old quarter disappearing trick, and he holds it up, and it's gone. The baby goes, and the eyes go, where, what? Then the dad pulls it out of its ear. Have you ever had your grandpa do that? Or dad pulls the ear, and there it is, and the baby goes, and it starts grabbing at his ear, and, and it's fun. We're like, what? Come on, baby, it's so easy. Put it in the palm of his hand. Don't be ridiculous. But we love that idea, this mundaneness, that, and it moves into joy. And this is what we see in Jethro. He's moved by the, the things of God to joy, and we're going to contrast with that with the people of Israel, who at this point, the work of God has become Tuesday. And they're not moved the way Jethro is moved. Look at verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. I'm going to read this section again. Jethro, the priest of Midian. Boo. Midianites, they're bad people. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, and now the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, and his two sons, because Moses had sent them to, to Jethro. One of his sons, this is the middle of verse 3, the name of one son was Gershom, for Moses had said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, and the name of the other son was Eliezer, and he, Moses that is, had said, the God of my father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped, at the mountain of God, and he went to Moses. And then we got to the part where we had read before. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, was watching over his wife and children. And now that the people of Israel had gotten out of Egypt and got over to Mount Sinai, Jethro came and brought Moses' family to him. And we discover here, and this is the second time it's mentioned in Exodus, Jethro is the priest of Midian. He's an important religious figure in Midian. We have no reason to believe that he was worshiping the one true God. He was likely worshiping whatever the Midianites were into. And he comes with Moses' family and delivers them to Moses. And Moses then tells Jethro of all God has done to get them out of Egypt. He said, oh, they turned the Nile into blood. It was the weirdest thing. We had piles of dying frogs. Then there was flies, and then there was gnats, and then there was hail. You wouldn't believe this hail. Then it went dark. It was so dark you could feel it. And then the firstborn died. But none of the firstborn of Israel died. And then we left there in haste. And then Pharaoh was going to chase us down and mow us over with his big chariot army. And then, you won't believe this, Jethro. He just parted the Red Sea. Jethro, what? Must have been a shallow part. 
Well, he's, well, you would think that would be the easy way to go, but then all the chariots drowned in it, so that wouldn't be the way to go. If you're going to drown chariots, you're going to need more than three inches of water. So they talked about that for an hour or two. So they're guys. They're not going to stay on topic. And look at, look at Jethro's response. Jethro rejoiced. Who is this God? He parts Red Seas. He humiliates. He humiliates Egypt. Who is this God that would show faithfulness to this people every step of the way? That he is, He's given you food. He's given you water. He's conquered the Amalekites. This is unbelievable. And Jethro rejoices. Jethro is moved by what God has done. Pay attention to this. What has Jethro seen God do? He hasn't. He has merely heard it. He has merely been told by those who are eyewitnesses to the faithfulness of God. Guess what God did? Red Sea, manna, water out of rock. It was crazy. It was good water too. And Jethro responds by saying, this God is God. He rejoices. He's actually moved emotionally to hear what God was doing in the, in the lives of the people of Israel. He, is, he understands what God is up to in the, in the lives of Moses and all of the people of Israel, and it moves him to rejoice in the Lord. He sees now, look at the, the names of Moses' children, Gershom. Moses is saying, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses is naming his children strange names to remind himself and God, I'm not where I'm supposed to be yet. And then his second son, God is my help. He has delivered me from Pharaoh. So now Jethro is putting one and one makes seven. You're a foreigner in a foreign land, but that doesn't matter. Your God is everywhere, and he conquers what he needs to conquer and who he needs to conquer. If you are with God, it doesn't matter where you are. And Jethro rejoices. Jethro is moved at the good things that God is doing in the lives of the people of Israel. How has Israel been responding to what they have seen? This is the contrast we see here. Israel, when they have faced these challenges, now these challenges weren't little things, they were big things. They were starvation, it was dehydration, it was annihilation. These are big deal kinds of things. But the people of Israel, over and over and over again, saw God working in powerful ways. And what was the response? Not of everyone, but of the folks generally. What was the response? Is God really with us? Oh, we've run out of water again. Is God really with us? Remember that couple looking at that house. Jethro sees that house and he goes, you have got a pretty incredible God on your hands. The people of Israel are looking at that house and saying, what a pain. Why can't God just bring a water truck with us? Why can't God just set up a buffet every morning and not just a manna buffet, seriously? Mix in a boiled egg, something with a little protein. Steak and eggs, and now we're getting hungry, right? So the people of Israel are looking at the same thing that Jethro the Midianite is looking at, and Jethro the Midianite is saying, God is great, and the people of Israel are saying, where is God? And the difference is not the information, 
The difference is the eyes of faith. Look at Jethro's response in verse 10. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord. He has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Out of the hand of Pharaoh, he has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair, the Egyptians, that is, dealt arrogantly excuse me, with these people. Jethro sees the work of God and says, there is no God greater than this God. The people of Israel, those who don't believe, see the work of God and say, well, he's all right. I mean, sometimes, other times, it's kind of a pain. He would be a better God if he would simply anticipate all of my wants and needs and provide those in a timely fashion. Jethro sees the same activity in God and says, wow. Eyes of faith, eyes of faith have joy at God's power, even when God's power isn't necessarily meeting our expectations. Israel is having trouble seeing the power of God. The prince or the, the priest of Midian sees it and is just floored by the power of God. So here's the thing. When we face challenges and difficulties in our life, which is kind of expected, isn't it? And if you're saying, well, you know, my life is pretty good. Hey, great. Give it a week. Yeah, let's just see how it rolls out. The real challenge we have is those things that show up, that those speed bumps, those big things and little things, they really have the ability, when we can't see things through God, to really compromise our joy. Our joy can disappear because we say, well, if this is true, if illness is true, if unemployment is true, if brokenness in my marriage or with my children is true, then therefore God cannot be faithful and good and kind. And Jethro had a different equation. Since these things are true, and since God is present in all of those things, there is no way he is anything but faithful and kind. But in the midst of those difficulties and challenges, that can be hard to do. And the way that we open our eyes is to hear the word of God and say, I believe you, God. I believe you are powerful in a foreign land. I believe you can conquer all the enemies that will present themselves to you, namely sin and death. Eyes of faith, have joy at God's power. Let's continue on. Verses 10 through 12. Some of us sometimes will have a friend or a family member come back from church or maybe from a church conference or a camp. And uh, they'll say, man, it was you should have heard this speaker. You should have heard this. Other. I mean, this was off the chain. Amazing. It was awesome. My life has been forever changed. I see everything differently. My hope is renewed. I feel like I'm floating on air, and we will respond in this way. How nice for you. That's, hmm. We want to be kind. I mean, it's great, but, but part of us says, I'm not experiencing that right now. Whatever I'm in, it's not the same experience as you, and, I, and great. That's fantastic. Good for you. Eyes of faith believe in God's plan. Look at God's plan and say, okay, I trust what he's up to. It's different than what I thought, but I trust what he's up to. Eyes of faith have us, give us the ability to see God's work, even in situations and challenges we're facing in the wilderness that say, you know, no, his plan to redeem me and make me more like Christ in this is a good plan. 
Look at verses 10, 11, and 12. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh. He's delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. You guys have had a powerful spiritual experience with God, delivered from every possible peril. Midianite uh, priest Jethro has not experienced this, and he doesn't go, how nice for you. What does he say? Whoa. That God, God did that for you? He must be God. God did that in your life? He overcame that in your life? God was faithful in that way? Boy, I didn't see that coming. I believe you're God. I believe, I see what God has done in your life, and I believe what God can do in my life. And Jethro, it says here, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came, and all the elders of Israel, they had a meal, and who did they eat with? They broke bread with Moses' father-in-law, before God. Jethro now finds himself no longer the priest of Midian. He finds himself in the family of God. His faith from the testimony of the people of Israel is God is God. My other stuff is not. I would rather worship with God who is this powerful. He believes the testimony of the people of God and the power of God, and he is moved to faith, and he trusts God and says, I believe God's plan. If God can bring you out of Egypt... I believe he can, that he is God. What are the people of Israel saying about coming out of Egypt? Can we go back? We sat by meat pots. There was a Chick-fil-A. It's for you, Todd. Yeah, I mean, the, the labor conditions were a little bit rough, but you had a job to go to. You didn't have to worry about it. Now out here, we're going to die. And, and Jethro is insane. He's saying, you came out of Egypt... I trust your God, I want your God to be my God and to do for me what he is doing for you. Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, I think it's going to be up on the screen potentially. Exodus chapter 9, 16, if I can find it here. Moses is talking to Pharaoh and Moses says this to him, it's for this purpose that God has raised you up to show you my power so that my name, that is God's name, may be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh, the reason God has raised you up is so, you're, so his name, the Lord's name, can be proclaimed in all the earth. Who's proclaiming the Lord's name? A Midianite. See, God's already up to it. God's already doing his thing. It's now not just the Israelites are proclaiming his name. A Midianite priest has showed up and said, the Lord is his name, and I want that Lord to be my Lord because he is the only Lord. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 25, Moses and Pharaoh are having an argument, which is funny. It's kind of like a parent arguing with a toddler. Pharaoh's the toddler. Pharaoh called Moses. I'm going to read it. Uh, it's not up on the screen, but you'll have to listen. Pharaoh called Moses, and he said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. And Moses said, It wouldn't be right for us to do so. For the offerings we will sacrifice to the Lord God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we offer uh, sacrifices that the Egyptians don't like, won't they stone us to death? In verse 27, We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, as he tells us. And Pharaoh says, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Just don't go very far. Moses said, Behold, I'm going out from you, and I will pray for you, but don't change your mind. 
So one of the things the people of Israel wanted to do was leave Egypt to go out and worship God by offering sacrifices, and this is the first time that has happened since they left Egypt. Who's offering sacrifices? A Midianite priest. They're going to worship, and they will. They're going to do this. The law is going to come from Mount Sinai in just a couple of chapters. But it's interesting that Moses might communicate to us by the inspiration of God in the book of Exodus that the first offering to be offered out in their journey was not from the Jewish people. It was from a Midianite priest who found God and said, I like your God. Your God is God. He is my God. I will offer a sacrifice uh, to him. Jethro likes God's plan. God's plan is simple. If you're my people, I will be with you forever. And Jethro says, I want in. I want in. Just a quick New Testament reference before we move on to the last section of this. is over in John chapter 20, verses 26 to 29. I just sort of thought of this as I was reading it, and it's probably a passage you're familiar with. It's up on the screen. Jesus has raised from the dead, and he's taking some time to appear to his disciples. And this is what it says. Eight days later, his, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. But Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. So he believed. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. And this occurred to me when I was reading about Jethro. He had not seen the Red Sea in two bits. He had not seen the chariots floating or sinking, whichever they were doing. He hadn't seen uh, the manna yet. He hadn't seen the water coming out of the rock. He hadn't seen any of this thing. All he had done is heard from those who were witnesses to the power of God and said, I believe in God. And not only do I believe, I believe in his, God, in his plan, which is those who put their faith in him are in his family, and he will protect them. Faith is what brings vitality. Faith is the means by which we encounter God. We say, I believe what you said is true, God. I believe what we, you said is true. Now, on Easter, we're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Now, just to be frank with you, we... We really celebrate his resurrection every Sunday. Easter, we just turn the volume up, right? Anybody, was anybody there and see the grave? The only way we believe today is we believe somebody who told us. The only way our eyes of faith are open is when the Holy Spirit moves and somebody and they say, I have seen Christ work in my life. I believe what his word says. I believe the Bible is telling the truth when he was risen from the dead. So I need to be honest with you if you're not sure what we're into. We're not saying Jesus raised from the dead is a figure of speech intended to say our life can be awesome. We're saying a dead guy became an alive guy. That he actually came out of the grave alive and he will never die. And we believe that when we put our faith in him for salvation... We also, we may die here, but we will never die. We will be raised again with him forever. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. And again, not as a metaphor for a hopefulness in the future. We believe in a future of the dead people being raised into Christ who have trusted him. 
And this is what the Jethro said. I believe what you said about the Red Sea. And I trust God. And this is the way in which we hear now. Is we tell you, look, this is what God has done. He has raised from the dead and he changes your heart. And sometimes, well, how nice for you. This is where we find hope. When we believe what has been told, Christ is risen, and we find our hope in him alone. Belief is always needed. Evidence we will always have. The Bible is evidence. And the evidence God gives us is a testimony of those who have come before us. Christ is raised, and he gives us new life. Eyes of faith say, I believe in God's plan. Here's God's plan. You probably know it, but I want to remind you of it. Jesus saves sinners, and you are one. It's not just that you rebel against God, you want his job. The problem with God is he thinks he's God. He insists on thinking he knows better than me. It's terribly frustrating. And he says, I have a plan. I will forgive you for everything you have ever done and everything you ever will do because Jesus paid the price for your rebellion on the cross. If you believe me, it's yours. If you will trust what I'm saying is true, it's yours. If you will believe in your heart that he has forgiven you, proclaim with your mouth, Christ is risen, you have eternal life. It's a matter of faith. Do you believe him? Or do you want a different plan? You know, what I'd really like is God to make my life better. I'd like my car not to break down. I'd like to not get sick. Or if I get sick, I'd like to not have it last very long. I'd like plenty of money, because that always makes people happy. Has it worked yet? I'm just, has it worked yet? It worked for a little bit. God's plan is to save sinners. He's to, his plan is to redeem people from slavery to sin and give them new life of a hope with him forever. Eyes of faith believe in God's plan. Jethro believes, he worships and gives joy. Okay, let's finish up with this. Eyes of faith. Eyes of faith see the burden of people who have missed God. Eyes of faith see the burden of people who have missed God. This is Exodus 18, verse 13. So the next day Moses went out, and I'll just sort of tell you the story. Moses was going out, and one of his jobs is people would come to him with complaints. They'd say, hey, my neighbor, he, uh, he pulled up my tent peg, and it blew away, and it rained, and ruined some of my clothes, and I think he should pay me back for my ruined clothes, and so Moses, well, okay, did you really put the tent peg all the way in? You know, they go through the whole, the whole thing. So he was adjudicating the disputes they would have among people, and he was trying to help them understand, here's what God is doing, here's the truth he has proclaimed to us, and here's how we live as the community of God's people within the relationship we have with one another and with God. And so there was long lines every day. It was worse than the DMV, if you can imagine that. He's sitting there, and people wait and wait all day long, and Jethro sees this, and he says, what in the world are you doing? And Moses said, I've got to help the people out. They need me to adjudicate their cases. They have disputes, and it'd be better for us to come to a fair resolution than to have them kill one another. And uh, so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm coming up with this, the, resolving the disputes, and Jethro says, listen, I've got a fix for this. Find able people, find people who are well-equipped, have them handle the minor cases, 
and then other people who handled a little bit more important cases, and then other people who handled a little bit more important cases, and the real big-time stuff that nobody can figure out what to do, well, that stuff comes to you, Moses, because you're being burdened, and, and there should be a way in which the people themselves together can help one another figure out the right thing to do uh, given the work that God is doing, given the information God has provided. Now, we know what this is like. Maybe you have hired a new employee or you have a new employee working for you and you sit them in, uh, here, you're, this is your job, we've got these things on this table and I need you to sort them out. You say, well, how do I sort them? Well, uh, the square goes in the square box, the round goes in the round box, the oval goes in the oval box. He goes, okay, is this a square? Yeah. Which box? Square box. Okay, square Okay, so I'm going to leave you to it. I've got to go over and do my sorting. Well, is it, which one is this? That's a circle. goes in the circle box. Oh, got it. I've got it. And with this one? And so he needs you to tell him where each one goes each time. Is that a good hire? I just think about it. Don't. You're jumping to conclusions. Why do I have to hire you if I have to help you do your job? And some of you as employers going, right. Some of you have worked with, well, yeah, exactly. I was hired, an assistant was given me, and they made my work harder. And what, what Moses is discovering here is instead of having to be the one to adjudicate these cases, what if the people of God understood the work of God and the word of God and could figure this out together? And Jethro could see this. What if, instead of them being treated as people who don't know how they can do it, they can have folks come among them and they can learn how to live consistent with the work of God in their own lives. They shouldn't have to be led along all the way. Here's what you do here. Here's what you do here. Here's what you do here. Just a couple of verses to touch on this idea. Uh, there are other things here, but just to touch on this. Psalm 37, verse 30. I'm going to read it for you. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. Excuse me. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks justice. The law of God is on his heart. His steps do not slip. The people of Israel here are coming to Moses. Moses, what should we do? What do you think God ought to do? I'll do this. Okay. What did the people of Israel need? The law of God is on my heart, and this is where my feet ought to go. And Moses had a situation here where he was going to be the one to dispense how God's truth shows up in their life, and what is intended to happen here over time is God's law is on their hearts, and so they can take steps. Psalm 40, verse 8, says this, I delight to do your will, O my God, because your law is contained in the pastor's office, and I can email him and ask. I misread that. I don't know if you noticed that. Although I appreciate your emails, so don't stop eating. I, I look forward to getting them. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is where? Written on my heart. My heart moves to the beat of God's truth, and so therefore my feet know how to move to the beat of God's truth. And Moses was wearing himself out because the law of God wasn't on the hearts of the people, and Jethro at least was saying, Let's get the process rolling where the law of God can be among the people, not merely from Moses himself. This is what Moses is going to say later by the, word of, by the power of the Holy Spirit in Deuteronomy 6. 
Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, I think it's up on the screen. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall be, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What he is saying here, I want you to, to take the truth of God's work, the truth of God's, uh, what he's calling us into, and I want that to be inscribed in your soul so that when you say, what ought I to do, I am moved by the word of God itself. I know God's ways in my life because his law is recorded on my heart. I know God's ways because I know God's words, and so therefore I can make decisions. I ought to do this because God's word is on my heart, and so therefore I will direct my steps this way. A couple more verses on this. Psalm 32, 8 and 9. It's going to be up on the screen for you. I will instruct you, and I will teach you in the ways you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And you say, well, that sounds like him telling us what to do all the time. No, pay attention. Look what it says. Don't be like a horse or a mule. Okay, that's just rude. <laughs> Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it not, will not stay near you. You see what he did there? Have the law in your heart. You should... Don't have to be dragged along on the ways of God. Have his law inscribed on your heart so that you know the, the current of God's movement and you jump in and swim along with it. The word of God inscribed on our heart so that our obedience and our worship of God is based on what we already know God is up to. That I don't, I'm not bit, I don't have a bit like a mule, or as Jesus says in the New Testament, we aren't servants per se, we are friends co-heirs of the kingdom of God. He says, get after it. You're, you're owners in the Father's business. We don't have to be dragged along. We, we have his law written on our heart by his spirit, and we know what we ought to do, and so therefore we do it. This is in stark contrast to the people of Israel lining up in long lines. Moses, what do I do about this? My neighbor did this. My neighbor did that. My husband did this. My kid did that. Open your Bible, he might say. Just two more references, and I may be lying. It might be 12 more. Jeremiah 31, 31. I think it's going to be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, by the way. Even though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will no longer, uh, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I have forgiven their iniquity. I remember their sin no more. There's an amen spot right there where the sin... I will remember their sin no more. Amen. All right, thank you. Okay, some of you have sinned this week. You needed that one. 
Do you think Paul was referring to this when we were doing communion? This new covenant in my blood? Where I will forgive their sins and I will rot my law on their hearts. And so we don't need to be dragged out of Egypt. We go skipping with Jethro the Midianite. I believe you, Lord. You save dirty, rotten sinners like me? And you're going to take me to glory because Jesus is raised? I'm into that deal. That's a good deal. I trust you. Obedience, devotion, worship, affection, duty, sacrifice. All of this flows from that one simple word of Jethro the Midianite. He rejoiced when he heard what God was doing. Now, let's just be honest, just, just an aside for, for like 20 minutes, I'll develop this idea. We hear these ideas, and, and we've been hearing these things. Jesus dies and saves sinners. Like, oh yeah, that's right, he does. What about those sandwiches are going to be at that lunch after? I hope they're good. I, hope they, I mean, the final four game is tomorrow. We've got to pick up chips after. Maybe get some salsa, some of that easy melt cheese. Oh, yeah, and Jesus saves sinners. That's, that's, that's great. That's just me, right? That's none of you? Jethro the Midianite hears Jesus saves sinners. Whoa. Man, because I hit it out the park on the sin department. And, and, and our worship, our sacrifice, our obedience flows from Jesus saves sinners like me. It flows from the truth of God written on my heart. I can go straight to the Father and say, God, what ought I to do today since you saved a sinner like me? I have access to the Father. I don't have to line up in a long line out in the middle of the desert and wait for Moses to call my number. He will write his law on my heart. I've got a Bible. I can read it and know it and understand it because his spirit will reveal it to me. All right. Exodus 18, 11. It'll be up on the screen. To me, this is the key verse I'd like you to take away from this. Exodus 18, 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. In this affair, the Egyptians dealt arrogantly with his people, but God had victory. In this, I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Okay, just a couple of questions. We're going to end with this. Joy, rest, or burden? Think of your Christian life today. If you know the Lord today, think of your Christian life. Which word would describe your Christian life? Joy, rest, or burden? When it's a burden, and for all of us it is from time to time, when it's a burden, the question we have to ask ourselves, is God greater? Whatever that God is in that moment that has become so great that we're burdened, the question is, is God greater? It's a matter of faith. What evidence are we going to be given that God is greater? What evidence will God do in your life to prove to you he is greater? The evidence of a testimony of the ages, Jesus isn't dead. It's hard to raise people from the dead. It's really hard to raise God from the dead, and he did it. Jesus raised from the dead. God is therefore greater. There is no burden in your Christian life. There is nothing that God can't overcome in your life. We hear the good news that God is doing in the lives of other people. We should have our hearts moved by God's Spirit, say, wow, your life is such a train wreck that God had to raise from the dead to fix you. Now, that's just the Bible. So next time somebody's sharing, this is what God did. Wow, you are right. If God hadn't raised from the dead, your life would be over. They say, well, that's kind of rude. No, it's amazing. 
that God would save a sinner like the guy sharing his testimony with you. That's awesome, because it also means that God would save your life. And you say, well, thankfully, my life is not a train wreck. Okay, just like I say, give it a couple of weeks. Where is your joy found? Where do you say, here's why my life has joy? And I'm not talking about your temperament. People approach the world different ways. Somebody sees the glass is half full. Somebody sees the glass is half empty. I see it as, who took my glass? Where's our joy? When I say in my heart, it's all good, everything's fine, it doesn't mean I'm going to have some emotion necessarily, but when I say in my heart, you know what, we're good. Things are going to be okay. Where does that come from? Where, where is the rock that that contentment, that joy is found on? And if it's not Jesus is raised from the dead, it is temporary. If that thing that says it's going to be okay is something other than Christ is raised, at some point it will go away. And the eyes of faith look at the world around us and say the only thing that's lasting is Christ who raised from the dead. What's our response? It's worship. We respond with worship. We say, Jesus, is that awesome? Because I can come to him again today with my brokenness, and he hears me, receives me, and forgives me. We begin with repentance and are moved to worship by his spirit. We need Jesus. We need his cross. We need the empty tomb.